And uh, I know we're, we're trimmed down a little bit today, uh, and there's a few reasons for that. Some of our families are, are traveling, and quite a few are sick. So uh, as we pray this morning, we want to uh, remember both those who are traveling and uh, those who are sick. And um, without wanting to center anyone out, I see a few visitors, and you're so welcome to be here. We're glad that you're able to join us and to worship Christ on this Thanksgiving, or sorry, Christmas Eve Sunday. Thank, well, you know, we could give thanks every week. This Thanksgiving Christmas Eve Sunday. Um, on a personal note, I wanted to just express to you and to those who maybe listen to this recording just how much... Uh, Ange and I are, are thankful to God for, for being here in this church. We are, we, we are so blessed to be pastoring a church like this one. And uh, I want to also take this opportunity to thank you for your generosity. Uh, we received a, a card, and many of you had signed it. And we received other cards from other people independently. And uh, there's been a, a great outpouring of material generosity to us this Christmas and it's very touching, it's very humbling, and uh, so from we to you, thank you very, very much. Uh, lastly, for my uh, personal introductions, we want to remember uh, those who, who might be grieving this Christmas. Christmas is a great time, it's a joyous time, it's a time of, of great celebration, but for those who have lost a loved one, either this year, and we know of, of some in our own church family, or maybe several years have come and gone, and every Christmas remains a difficult time. Uh, we want to just be sensitive, and we want to remember those. And so uh, as we open up in prayer before I uh, get to the Word of God, uh, let us together remember those who, for whom Christmas is a difficult time, a time of uh, revisited grief. And, and to those who are grieving, and I know that uh, for those of you who have put your faith in Christ, you know this, but it, it's helpful to hear it. There's great hope in the midst of our grief when we put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the, the whole gift of Christmas, as we said last night, was that God became a man to die and to rise again so that death would not have the last word. And that though we will die... Because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. When we put our faith in the risen Lord, on that last day when he comes back to the earth, he will declare with a command and a voice of the archangel, a trumpet will resound from heaven, and he will say, arise, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive, the time of his coming will be caught up with them in the air and will be transformed in an instant and we will live forever in resurrected glorified bodies with the Lord who came as a baby lived as a man and died without ever having sinned so that all this could be ours by grace through faith and that, that's what Christmas is all about so there's great hope there's great uh, expectation and and for those of us who are grieving this this year uh, let us remember the hope that we have in Christ would you pray with me for all of these things and then we'll open God's word together Heavenly Father I want to begin by thanking you for calling me and my family to bury to this church the South Shore uh, that we might partner with all of these families in the gospel work. And Lord, I thank you that you are doing a good work here. 
we're a, a small church, a humble church, and yet your spirit is active here. Uh, he is changing lives here. And I pray that in the coming year, you would take each of us individually and as families and as one church and help us to go out into the world, into Barry, and to declare the good things that you have done for us. And to go out with the name of Jesus on our lips. And Lord, we pray, please add to our number those who are being saved. I pray that you would prepare us to receive many people, maybe just one family a month, that could then walk with us and journey with us and worship with us, that you would be pleased. Because our hearts are inclined toward you. We love you, we worship you, and we honor you. Lord, I thank you for the generosity that Angie and I and Selah have received from this church. And I thank you for the generosity of family to family in this church. I thank you that we are a group of people that desire to uh, live life together, uh, to grieve with those who grieve, and to uh, celebrate with those who celebrate, and to carry burdens with one another, and to help one another in our weaknesses. Lord, I pray that that would continue. God, I pray now, especially for those who are grieving, especially for those who have lost someone this year, or maybe it's been more than a year, but the wounds of that loss are uh, especially fresh at Christmas. As, as memories of joyous Christmases past now come with a bit of a sting Lord, in our grief, we thank you that you will meet us with the promise of Christmas, which is everlasting life in Jesus Christ, your son. And Lord, I thank you that you know what grief is, that you grieved over the loss of your son, but he died on the cross. And just as you raised up your son by your Holy Spirit, we thank you that you will raise us from the dead. And what a reunion that will be. First Christ and then all who believe in Christ and the love that we will enjoy with one another forever and ever without end. Lord, I pray that as we take a look at why you selected Mary and Joseph, that you would open our eyes to the beauty of your inbreaking to history. That you came in the, the quietest, most humble way. Nobody knew, except for those to whom you revealed it, that you had come. Now I pray, reveal that to us. Pray this in Jesus' name. So this Christmas, we've been looking at, at the question, why, why Christmas? What, what is it that we celebrate? And, and we can link to Easter pretty easily. We can look forward to the cross, and we must do that. But there's so many amazing things that God was doing in, the, in that very first Christmas season. And, and today, what I want us to look at is, why Mary? Why Joseph? Uh, of all the people in the world that God could have chosen, why these two? And the answer might be surprising as we explore this together. Open your Bibles to 
Luke chapter 1. We're going to start with the question, why Mary? Why Mary? So Luke chapter 1, I'm going to read verses 26 to 38, and then we're going to look at a variety of scriptures in Luke, and then in Matthew, and then ultimately in John as we go through uh, this morning. Would you please stand? These are the words of God. This is what God wanted us to know about the first Christmas, uh, this and some other things. Uh, Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 30. No, sorry, 26 through 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. She was greatly troubled at this saying, and she tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great. It will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who is called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. These are the words of God. Let's pray. God, help us. Help us to understand why Mary why, Joseph? Holy Spirit, minister to us according to our individual need. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of Mary, the Son of Joseph, the Son of David, the Son of God. Amen. Please be seated. There's really only one answer to the question, why Mary? But I'm going to give you four. Uh, the reason I say only one is because there's only one that, that really truly matters. And, and the other three are true, but only if we keep them in the right perspective with the right emphasis. And, and so we really want to emphasize this first reason. That's the main reason. That, that's the sum total of everything else. And then there's something to be gleaned from these other three much lesser reasons. So, so why Mary? Of all the women in the world, why Mary? She wasn't even living in the right town. She didn't live in Jerusalem. She didn't live in Bethlehem. And the prophet said that the one to be born would be the king in Jerusalem, and he would be born in Bethlehem. And here we have a woman who's living up in Nazareth. And Nazareth wasn't even a part of the southern kingdom. It wasn't even in Judah. In fact, that was where God's people had fallen to the Assyrians some almost 750 years ago. 
And Nazareth was kind of this byword or this place where people would look at it and say, there's nothing good that ever comes from Nazareth. And God from heaven, looking for a woman to whom the Messiah might be born, looks to Nazareth, that despised place in the northern kingdom that was overrun with Gentiles and Samaritans. There's a woman. Why her? The angel tells us. The angel says it twice. Greetings, O favored one. Don't be afraid. You found favor with God. Why Mary? Because she had found favor with God. That's the reason. And that's the only reason, really, that matters. And what does it mean to find favor with God? Let me just take a, a, a short detour, and then we'll get back to this. Just a very quick aside. Uh, we are told that David was a man after God's own heart. What does that mean? Because it means exactly the same thing as, oh, favored one. To be a man or a woman after God's own heart is exactly the same as to be favored by God. So what does it mean? Does it mean that God looked down from heaven and he saw a bunch of sinners and he was just looking for someone to whom he might give the promise of the Messiah? He says, oh, there's David, a shepherd in Bethlehem. You know, I kind of like him. He's a pretty good guy. I, I think he's got the stuff. I think his heart is inclined in the right ways. I, I think that he's exactly the kind of man that I want to give this promise to. Is that what it means to be a man after God's own heart? That's what it means in English, right? If I say to you, you're a man, or if I say to you, you're a woman after my own heart, what that English phrase has come to mean is, I see something in you that I like. I see something in you that reminds me of myself. That's what we mean in English, and that's because of bad exegesis, quite frankly. That whole uh, English idiom of you're a man or a woman after my own heart, meaning that I see something of myself in you and I like that about you, uh, that's because somewhere along the line someone misunderstood what it meant that David was a man after God's own heart. What it means for David to have been a man after God's own heart is this. David, number one, was a man. Okay, that's good. And it has nothing to do with David's heart. It has everything to do with God's heart. Here's a man on which God put his heart. He, that's what it means. Here's a man to whom I choose, says God, to set my heart. It doesn't matter what David does. I choose him. I choose him. It, it, and that is such a fuller expression of the gospel, isn't it? Doesn't that give us so much more security in the gospel? Because it means that when God looks down on us and sets his heart upon us, it's nothing to do with us. You know what God saw when he looked down to the sheepfolds of Bethlehem and saw David? He saw a sinful man, even though he was just a boy. He was a man who was an enemy of God. He saw a man who was not inclined toward God, but hated God. That's what God saw. Then God set his heart upon him. And that changed everything for David. 
Because God chose David. Because God changed David. Because of the love that God poured into David's life. Then we see the David that responds to the love of God. And we see the good in David, right? Which is not a product of David's heart, but it's a product of God's heart set upon David. We also see a David late in life who commits adultery and murder. And yet he remains a man after God's own heart. Because it's nothing to do with David and everything to do with God. Now that's why God chose Mary too. That's what it means when the angel says, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. You see, it doesn't say, Greetings, Mary, who favors God. You are with the Lord. You see, it's all the other way. It says, greetings, O favored one, the one to whom favor rests, the one from God to Mary, not from Mary to God. The Lord is with you. It's not, I have come to you because you are with God. It's not that you have done something that merits God's favor, but the Lord has chosen you. He has set his heart upon you. The Lord has decided to be with you. And then verse 29 makes sense. And she was greatly troubled at the saying. What does this mean? She tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. What do you mean that I'm favored? What do you mean that the Lord is with me? What is there in me that would merit such a greeting? And before we're quick to say, well, Mary, you're pretty good. You're, you're doing quite well. We have to agree with Mary She's nothing. She's a woman in need of a savior. But the angel continues and says, don't be afraid. Why would Mary be afraid? Why is anyone afraid when they see an angel? Why is anyone afraid when they they see a manifestation of the glory of God? Why should we be afraid when we get close to God? It's because... uh, A person who knows who they are. A person who sees just how much they do not merit such a greeting. Uh, When we recognize how in need we are of grace. When we recognize how much judgment we deserve. Then we are afraid. When, When the things of God and those who dwell in the place of God approach us. We are afraid. Because we are men and women of unclean lips, as Isaiah said. We, we don't deserve such a greeting. But the angel says, don't be afraid. Your posture is right. Your fear is good. But don't be afraid. And then he continues. For you have found favor with God. What I want us to notice is what, what the angel doesn't say. Don't be afraid. You're pretty good. Your sin is not nearly as bad as everyone else in Nazareth or in the rest of Israel or Judea or around the world. Uh, Of all the men and women in the world, your sin is not that bad. He doesn't say that. He says, don't be afraid because the grace of God rests upon you. You found favor with God. Why? It's nothing that Mary did. It's because God chose her. And that's the joy for us, too, you see. I can say to those of you who have put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, greetings, O favored ones. Greetings. 
You are favored by God. You are men and women after God's own heart. And don't be puffed up at that. It has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with God's graciousness and God's mercy and God's selection of you. That he came for you. He found you and he saved you. He sent his son to die for you. So you're favored. And that's so much better than a greeting like this. Greetings, O righteous ones. If by that I mean your own righteousness. The God, has, God has looked on you and he, he says, you're not nearly as despicable as everyone else in this city or in this country or in the world. Now, in which greeting do you have greater security? In which greeting do you take the deeper joy? In the greeting where it's all about God and not about you. You know why? Because on those very bad days, on those days when your sinful flesh just rears its ugly self, and you find yourself in a pit of sin, when you don't even like yourself, on those days where you can't bring yourself to worship, when you feel cold in your heart, when you feel distant from God, when, when you are chasing after something that is not of God, you're still a man or a woman after God's own heart if you've put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. When you're like a ship on the surface of the ocean and the waves begin to swell and we're at 10 and 20 and 30 foot swells and the wind is pounding against your ship, and you're afraid that you might capsize. That you might be taken out to sea. Greetings, oh favored one, because you have an anchor. Jesus the Christ in the heavens. And he will hold you fast. Because it's not about you. It's not about your being good enough. It's not about my being good enough. It's, it's not about us accomplishing or filling up the finished work of Christ. Uh, it, it's always about us recognizing our need for a Savior. And the anchor will hold on the stormy days of our life. And, and the rope between us and Christ, which is faith. And the tether, which is the grace of God, will hold and there's no wave too high, there's no wind too fierce that will undo the anchor, which is Christ in heaven. And we will hold and he will bring us safely through. Greetings, oh favored one. What kind of greeting is that? But don't be afraid. For you have found favor with God. Why, Mary? I don't know. She wasn't any better than any other woman on the face of the earth. But God looked at her and says, I choose you. Just as I chose David, just as I chose Abraham, I choose you. And through you, I'm going to do amazing things. In you, Mary, the Son of God who is fully God is going to be conceived as a child. Oh, praise be to God. I want to go through three other reasons very quickly because that's the one that matters. Why Mary? Because God decided to choose Mary. That's it. Why you? Why me? Why, why are we saved for eternal life? Why will we be raised from the dead? And not some others. Why not, 
our brothers or sisters or mothers or aunts or uncles or co-workers or neighbors. Because God has chosen us. Praise be to God. That has nothing to do with us and everything to do with him. There is three other reasons that God chose Mary. Now, these reasons do not add merit to Mary. It's just that God, looking at the things that he had promised, chose a woman who, who had these things to make a point not about Mary. And this is the important thing. These other reasons don't make a point about Mary, but make a point about God. They make a point about his faithfulness to his promises. They make a point about Jesus and the things that Jesus came to do. So the second reason that God chose Mary is that she was a virgin. Now, before we make too much of this, there were many other virgins that God could have chosen. But it was important that she was a virgin. And this is not about sexual purity or chastity or, or, or sinlessness at all. This is about a promise that God had made through the prophet Isaiah. That the virgin will conceive and bear a child. And through that child, all the hopes of all the prophets would be realized. And Matthew talks about that. It also is to prove to us that the child in the womb of this virgin is divine. Fully the son of God. Because he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Not by man. So her virginity is not about Mary's purity or lack of sin or, or righteousness or anything like that. It's about fulfilling promises, and it's about the identity of the child in her womb, who is fully man, the a son of Mary, and fully God, the son of God, conceived by the Holy Spirit without the assistance of a man. Do you know, uh, very early in the history of the church, Mary was declared to, declared to be the Theotokos, which translated means the mother of God. And I know how the Roman Catholic Church has, has taken that and abused it so that we get afraid of that. We don't want to talk about Mary being the mother of God. But, but that statement in the original formation of that statement of the Theotokos, that she is the mother of God, we need to embrace that as true. But again, it's not about Mary. See, what the Roman Catholic Church has done, they've made the, the big mistake of making the Theotokos statement about Mary. It's not about Mary. It's about Jesus. If we cannot affirm that Mary is the mother of God, then we are not affirming that Jesus Christ is divine, that he is fully God. And if Jesus is God in human flesh, then Mary is the mother of God because she's the mother of Jesus. She did not give birth to the divinity of Jesus, but she gave birth to Jesus. And Jesus is God. And all of this comes out of the very crucial thing, uh, fact, which is that Mary was a virgin. And that's exactly what she says. How can this be? How can I be pregnant with the Messiah? I'm a virgin. Exactly the point, Mary. This is not about you. This is not about what you bring to the table. You've done nothing. Your conception is not even done by you, but by God. Thirdly, we see that she was humble and submissive. Now, this is a tricky one. Because on the one hand, I do want to say we ought to be like Mary. Uh, we ought to respond to, to this greeting. Oh, favored one, you have found favor with God. And, and God will do great things for you. And the Messiah will be born, uh, in, conceived in you and born from you. And, and she said, okay. This is a great thing. Let it be as you have said. 
Likewise, when, when the promise of the gospel lands in our lap, when we, our hearts are regenerate, and, and, and you hear a preacher say that it has nothing to do with you, but God has chosen you. He has set his heart upon you, and the Holy Spirit that conceived a child in the womb of Mary has conceived new life in you and regenerated your heart and, and made you into a new creature. And just as the second person of the Trinity uh, took up residence in the womb of Mary, so the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, indwells you. And he is in you just as Christ was in Mary. What should your response be? What should my response be? Okay. I bring nothing but okay. Let it be as you have said. And then we, like Mary, should... Worship. He who is mighty has done great things. You see, what Mary understood was it had nothing to do with her. It is he who is mighty who has done great things. And she had a right perspective on what was happening. She said, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. You know, we can say the very same thing. Every generation could look at us and say, we are blessed. We brought nothing to the table but filthy rags, and God has made us into children of God. We will reign with Christ. We will be raised from the dead. Why? Because the mighty one has done great things for us. There's great joy in that. Fourthly, which will transition into Joseph. Why Mary? Because she was betrothed to Joseph. This often gets overlooked. Uh, Mary is the key player in the nativity drama. I mean, Jesus obviously is center stage. But after Jesus, it's always Mary. And I think there's good reason for that. And yet, what gets overlooked is she was chosen because she was married to Joseph, or at least betrothed to be married. To Joseph. And that is a crucial fact. Take a look at verse 27. We, we, we notice the first part, but very rarely the second part. So the angel Gabriel was sent from God to Nazareth, this backwater place, to a virgin. Okay, we've talked about that. And this virgin was betrothed. That was legally binding marriage without consummation for one year. So they were married, but they hadn't consummated the marriage. There was a year that they had to wait, and Joseph was to prepare the house to receive her and pay the dowry, etc. Um, but they were legally married, and to, to break that betrothal would require a divorce. And who was she betrothed to? To a man whose name was Joseph. Of the house of David. And that's so important. If Mary had been betrothed to Simon of the house of Levi, she's not chosen. Because the promise of the Messiah is a promise to David. And, and what I want us to do now as we take a look at why Joseph, uh, we can take everything that I said about Mary being the favored one and David being a man after God's own heart. That's true of Joseph too. I mean, there were tens and hundreds and thousands of descendants of David that God could have chosen. But he chose Joseph because he was a descendant of David. 
So now we ask the second question, which I've just answered. So this is kind of like Jeopardy, right? <laughs> oh, why David? Because he was the son of David. Or why Joseph? Because he was the son of David. Let's just take a look at that now. I'm going to hopscotch us through a bunch of verses. What I want you to know is never in the Bible that I'm aware of, if you can bring it to my attention, let me know. But there's nowhere in the Bible where we find out that Mary was a daughter of David. She might have been. She might have been. But her cousin Elizabeth was married to a Levite. And we don't know if Elizabeth was a Levite or a Davidite or whatever. We don't know. But the only genealogical information that we have about Mary connects her with the tribe of Levi. I'm not saying that she was descended from Levi. The Bible doesn't say. But, but any genealogical information we have about Mary always tends us in that direction and never about David. In fact, whenever David is brought up, whether about Mary or Jesus, the crucial link is Joseph. Joseph. We've already seen that in Luke 1.27. So the angel Gabriel came to a virgin. She was betrothed to an, a man who, named Joseph who was from the house of David. That's really important. Now just go down there in Luke 1 to verse 31. I want us to hear this with slightly different ears. Now picture yourself. You're Mary. You know that you are uh, betrothed to Joseph who is of the house of David. So, so you understand that your child will be in the line of David, if not for yourself, because of your husband. Now take a look at verses 31 and following. And behold, says the angel, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. We don't know which house Mary was from, but we know her husband is from the house of David. Now, if you're Mary, and you get this promise, and then Mary says, how will this be since I am a virgin? Now, we often see the obvious, and I'm not saying that she's not intending this. We often see that she says, how is this biologically possible? I, I haven't uh, consummated my marriage. How is it even possible for me to conceive? Okay. But secondly, how is it possible that I could be pregnant with a son of David? I haven't yet consummated my marriage with Joseph, the son of David. You see, this could be as much about just the sequence of consummation with the rightful lineage of David, her husband. She says, how could this be? I haven't consummated with David, who is the missing link here. And the angel basically says, well, don't worry about it. We'll take care of that. And she says, okay, I'll leave that with the Lord. Now let's take a look at some other places. Maybe you're not convinced by that. and That's not a slam dunk case. But the rest of these passages clearly indicate that Joseph is the link between David and Jesus. Luke chapter 2 verses 4 and 5. 
verses 1 through 3, we, we're told that there's a census, right? We're told that everyone had to go to their hometown in order to be counted and taxed. Verse 4, and Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Why? Because he was of the house and lineage of David. It's, it's crystal clear there. And he was registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. It says nothing about Mary's genealogical information. Why did they go to Bethlehem? It's not because Mary was of the house of David. It's because Joseph was of the house of David. And so they went. Uh, go down to chapter 3. Take a look at verse 23. Genealogies. Luke 3, verse 23. Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being the son, as was supposed, of Joseph, the son of Heli, the son of Mathat, the son of Levi, etc., etc. Uh, go down to verse 31. The son of Malia, the son of Menah, the son of Metatha, the son of Nathan, the son of David. Luke's genealogy of Jesus goes through Joseph. Now, if we continue, flip back to the Gospel of Matthew. I want to show you. There's another genealogy. And Matthew makes the exact same point about Jesus' Davidic credentials. And it's all through Joseph. Matthew, chapter 1, taking a look at verses 1 and 2 to start. This is the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, who is the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. And then the genealogy continues. Go down to verse 6. Eventually we get to Jesse, and Jesse was the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon, by the wife of Uriah, and so on and so forth. And go down to verse 16. And Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. So the link here again is Joseph, the genealogy through David, through Joseph, to Jesus. Matthew makes that point again. Just flip over to verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, there's the emphasis, his mother Mary is engaged to be married, or is married, but not yet consummated, to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." The emphasis there is clearly Joseph, son of David. You have to take Mary to be your wife because you are the Davidic link. And her son must be your son 
because you are the son of David. I want to take you to one more place, one more place. Go to John's Gospel. John's Gospel. Chapter 1, I'm just going to read for you verse 45. John 1, verse 45. This is when Jesus is gathering disciples to himself. And he found Philip and Andrew and Peter. In verse 45, Philip is quite excited. He finds his friend Nathanael. Philip found Nathanael and he said to him, We have found the one of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. Talking about the Messiah. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now what's the point of the son of Joseph? Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. You know Joseph who is of the house of David? That's the implications, because we have found the one of whom Moses spoke and also the prophets. Now, I've spent a lot of work to just sort of prove what I think is a fairly self-evident point. Why Joseph? Well, because he was of the line of David. Why does that matter? Because God has made a string of promises. He promised to Abraham, that through Abraham's family, all the families of the earth would be blessed. That promise was passed from Abraham to Abraham's son, Isaac, not to Ishmael. And it was passed from Isaac to Isaac's son, Jacob, not to Esau. And it was passed from Jacob to Judah, not to Joseph or to any of the other brothers. And it was passed from Judah to Perez. And from there, we kind of lose track of it until we get to 2 Samuel 7, and God identifies David as the rightful descendant of Perez and Judah and Jacob and Isaac and Abraham. And God in 2 Samuel 7 says to David, and your own son I'm going to raise up, and he's going to be the king of kings and the lord of lords, and he's going to sit on your throne, and his kingdom will be established forever, and he will reign over my kingdom forever and ever without end. And that's the beginning of the ultimate messianic hope. And then the prophets come in and they start picking up on that. And he said, even though we've been judged and even though the Davidic monarchy has fallen, there will come a shoot from the stump of Jesse, which Blair spoke about in our worship already. There's going to be another king and he's going to come from the line of David. And so now we have a man living in Nazareth who is of the house of David. You see, Joseph is crucial. And there's a point that I've made to you before, and I'm going to make it again because I love this point, because I'm, I'm an adopted father. Did you know that Jesus receives the line of the Messiah by adoption? His adopted father, Joseph, is the link to all the promises of God in the Old Testament. And that's important if you're an adopted father like I am, but it's also important if you're a Gentile Christian. It means we are not second-rate brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ just because our bodies may not have come from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
doesn't mean that we are not full inheritors of the full promises of God. We are not second to Jews in the promises of God. Yes, the gospel came first for Israel and then for the nations, and yet we are adopted into the family of Abraham by grace through faith. So God can look down and he can turn a stone into a son of Abraham. And by a stone, I believe he was referring to Gentiles, you and me, if you're not descended from Abraham. And Jesus himself was adopted into the promises of God in order to fulfill the promises of God. Think about all the things that God was doing through this couple, Mary and Joseph. They didn't deserve it. They weren't special. They were sinners in need of a Savior. And yet God looked down on them and says, I choose you for all these reasons, but not because of your merit. I choose you. You know what encourages me? We're... We are not the biggest church, not, e- not by a long shot, not even in Barrie. We're not the flashiest church. We don't deserve God's favor any more than any other church. And I would pray God's favor on each and every church in this city, in this province, in this country, in the world. And when you go into a city and you see a new church, I just saw it, I was driving through Toronto, a new church being constructed, and it looked like a big church. I said, praise God, there's another embassy for Christ. So this is not meant as a statement of competition with any other church. But we are not, in the eyes of the world, the most impressive group of people. But neither was Mary or Joseph. And look what God did through them. And neither was Christ, by the way. And neither were the disciples. And yet there's a common theme that after God chose them, they were faithful. They didn't care about all the laud and honor. They didn't care about the esteem of the world. They just very quietly were faithful to God. And this Christmas, I am thankful to be a part of a church that I think reflects The original Christmas couple, Mary gave birth in a stable and very few paid notice. We are here on Christmas Eve worshiping the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and very few take notice of our presence here. Do you know who does? God does. God knows each one of us by name. He knows that we are here. And he knows that we are worshiping his son. So be encouraged. To close, I wonder how often we think about the central role that David plays in Christmas. A few weeks ago we said, why Bethlehem? Well, because David was born in Bethlehem and God was making a point that Jesus was the promised Davidic Messiah. Why shepherds? Why Bethlehem shepherds? Because David, before he was king, was a Bethlehem shepherd. And he was making a point that the good shepherd had been born to shepherd God's people. Why Mary and Joseph? Well, because God chose them. Just as he had chosen David and Judah and Jacob and Isaac and Abraham. 
Not because of them, but because of God. Joseph was in the line of David. And God brought through Joseph, the adopted father of Jesus the Messiah, all the messianic promises to fulfillment. Therefore, what if, what if this Christmas, rather than getting caught up in everything else, what if we considered more the centrality of David to Christmas than any of our other nostalgic traditions? And when we consider David, remember this, that David was a man after God's own heart, and that's the center of Christmas. Because what that means is that God did something, not because of David, not because of Joseph, not because of any of us, but because God chose to do it. He is sovereign. He could have judged us and condemned us. Instead, he sent his son to save us. Praise be to God. So when you think about Christmas, think about David, and think about what it means that you are a man or a woman after God's own heart and worship him. Let's pray. Oh God, I thank you. I thank you for choosing us. We're not mighty. We are not without sin. We're not impressive. There's nothing that we bring except poverty and need. And yet you chose us. And you have lavished upon us grace upon grace. And you have given us more than we could ever ask for. You have promised more than we can even imagine. Lord, I pray for this church. Give us the joy of your salvation. Not because we deserve it. But because it is your good pleasure to give it to us. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.